So if we haven't met, my name is Carlos, and it is such an honor to be a part of not only Evergreen, but such a special time in the life of our faith community. If you're walking in our doors for the first time, want to welcome you. There are so many things to celebrate, honestly, so many things to celebrate that we had to like pick and choose stuff, and, um, but we want to just bring it all to the table um, in the next few weeks of the good things that God is doing. And the first thing I want to begin with is going back a couple of weeks ago where I had the uh, pleasure of doing a rally call uh, because we partner in October with ARMS. And um, at the last weekend of October, we sat at uh, collectively raising $5,000 and we celebrated that. But as you heard, our goal was $7,000 so that we can help 77 women in Evergreen you responded. Are you ready for the results? Yeah? All right, let's see it. At the end of our campaign, we were able to raise enough to help 98 women. Isn't that incredible? That is tangible love, tangible generosity. So what do we say to Evergreen when you continue to be generous? We say, thank you. Everyone say that with me. Thank you in the room and online. Thank you for participating in that. And there's more um, coming. So that, that's just the beginning of our celebration. Because I also want to uh, just acknowledge how good was last week. How many of you enjoyed last week's message? Yeah. Yes. So if you missed out, you missed out on a great message by one of our friends, Pastor Joe Whitwer, and um, you're all invited uh, to go back and listen to his wonderful message on any of our online platforms, but he shared a message where he took on the question, what do you say when something good or something hard or before you ask God for something? And what do you say, Evergreen? You say? You say thank you. You say thank you. Yeah, see, it's stuck with all of us. And so what I want to do today as we continue in this series we're calling Tangible Gratitude, I want to tackle this question uh, that, that's, that's very similar, and it goes like this. What do you do? Everyone ask that question. What do you do? What do you, oh, we got to do better than that, 915. Come on. Come on. Let's do it again. What do you do? Yes, type it in the chat. What do you do when something good, hard, or unexpected happens to you? And we're going to be tackling this question really by looking at um, a moment in the life of a woman we know as Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany. And that's not your friend Mary who lives in Bethany. We're talking about Another Mary here, okay? I know some of you went right to your friend. You're like, hey, they're talking about you. Cheese, man. Uh, but before we dive into that story, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to just share uh, an experience I had that was unexpected. Okay, this is my unexpected experience story, and it has to do with my time in Guatemala. Now, for those of you who don't know, I was, on, I was honored to be on the Guatemala team for the first time this year, and... Um, after the first day of a couple of flights, uh, the second day of more than 10 hours of, of travel on, on roads that feel like this, right, we're rolling, um, we finally get to the region of Naba, and on the day three, morning of day three, Bruce, Bruce Shearer remembers, morning of day three, we are now entering into our destination, the village of Chacalte. 
and I'm excited, right? Like, this is what we're here. We are here um, to, to, to do good work here in, in this village. And as we are getting into where we can now see the village, I start to notice that there are, there's a crowd of people. And, and if I had to give it a number, it was about 150 to 200 men, women, children, chickens, dogs. I mean, it was all there. Really. And, and as, as, as we were approaching, I realized that here was what felt like an entire village. The village is actually more like 700, 800 people. But think about, do the math there. A high percentage of the people of Chacalte took time off on their Monday morning to do what? To welcome us. Friends, this was a welcome party. And so I did not expect this, but, you know, I, I do okay with crowds, so I come out and I start waving, right? And I start shaking hands, and not only me, but the rest of the team, and, and literally the, the Food for the Hungry team, which is a team we partner with, they lead us, they have to escort us into the building. I, I kind of I had a feeling of what Taylor Swift's life is like in this moment. I was like, okay, this is what it feels like, Okay. So we go into their community center, and, and I notice that it is, it's decorated, it's beautifully decorated, and then it starts to click to me that we are walking into not only a welcome crowd, but a welcome ceremony. And so they had it all. They had, they had the introductions, they had the music, they had the kids' performances, and what felt like just about every leader in education or in the church or in the local government, every leader took time to get on stage, get behind a mic, and express many words of gratitude. And friends, I did not expect this. And can I be honest? What I felt could be described in one word. That's uncomfortable. Have you ever been there? I was so uncomfortable that I really wanted it to be short, but it lasted like two hours. <laughs> I mean, this was such generous, over-the-top gratitude, and I felt what I felt so much that at the end of that day, I went home and I processed. And the next morning I woke up and I processed. Uh, because um, here's what I came up with. I felt that I personally was not deserving of such honor. Because I personally, I, I hadn't even broken a sweat. Right? I hadn't even grabbed a shovel. I hadn't carried any sand or moved rocks. I hadn't delivered any gifts or made any visits to home. I hadn't even learned anyone's name. Do you see? Couldn't they have waited till the end of the trip to say thanks? But they did it right at the beginning. And here's what I felt. I felt like it was a hero's welcome, but I wasn't a hero. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced gratitude that made you feel uncomfortable. Well, I believe that I finally came to understanding that situation a little bit better, but I want to come back to that story because I want to now go back to Mary of Bethany because Mary of Bethany, she has a few moments in her life where she made people uncomfortable. 
And that's what I want to look at today. But let me just remind you, if you don't know who Mary of Bethany is, um, here's a few things you should know about her. She comes from a, a, a famous family, um, mainly because her brother was Lazarus. And what do we know about Lazarus? He was raised from the? Yeah, that guy. So Mary of Bethany is, is um, brother to um, Lazarus. And she also has a sister. Her sister's name Martha, and we know that one time they were hosting a dinner, and Martha was a sub, uh, 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 she was um, mad. She was mad at Mary because what was Mary doing? She wasn't helping with the preparation. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and some of us remember, recall that conversation. Um, but then uh, we have another dinner, and that's the one we're going to look at today, where she does this thing where she pours perfume on the feet of Jesus and then begins to wipe it dry with her hair. Does that sound weird to you? It should, right? If you're hanging out with people who do that, come talk to me, okay? And so I want to argue today that, that we're, that situation, we're going to dive into that weirdness. Um, aren't you happy you came to church? We're going to dive into that, but I want to actually paint her journey through the good the hard and the unexpected to that moment. And so I highlighted it on a slide because I thought that would be helpful. First, we, we know that it is good to be a friend of Jesus, right? We, we, we see that they had a special place in Jesus' heart, her and her siblings. Um, unexpected, I mean, her, her brother got sick. Good, she was close enough a friend of Jesus to call on him. Um, hard, Jesus doesn't show up on time, Lazarus dies, right? That's hard. Unexpected, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Do you think she planned that? Absolutely not, right? Good, she has her brother back. That's very good. And then good, she has the honor of hosting Jesus once again for dinner. And that's, what happen that's what's happening in John chapter 12. We're going to look at the first eight verses. It'll be on the screen. I'll read it here. It says this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said this, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often sold, stole some for himself. Who doesn't? Who says that the Bible doesn't have some drama? That's some drama right there, right? I love the commentary. Jesus replies to this situation, leave her alone. Everyone say that. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And so again, uh, my thought process is Mary, she has experienced some good, some hard, some unexpected. And what does she do in the midst of this journey? It says here that on this dinner that was supposed to be a celebration and everyone was supposed to act cool, she decides 
to break open a jar of expensive perfume, pour it on the feet of Jesus, and another account says she also poured it on his head, and she proceeded to wipe it with, wipe his feet with her hair. Again, does that sound weird? Well, it should. It should for us, right? I don't know about you, but I've never experienced such a, such a display. Uh, um, and so um, what we should know is that part of this was common in the culture. For those of us who understand first century um, you know, Jewish culture, we know that foot washing was a, kind of a normal thing. Um, these were unpaved roads, and Phil Knight had not been born yet, so a proper shoe wasn't yet created. And so here were these people, and they were walking around, and they had some dusty, funky feet. How many of you have ever had dusty, funky feet? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Keep, keep that to yourself. And so it was very common for a, a generous, kind, thoughtful host to wash the feet of their guests. But... Something of that nature was left to a servant. You see, what wasn't common was that for that to be done amongst friendships or amongst equals. And what was definitely not common was for feet to be dried using human hair still on the human. That's what's weird, right? They did have towels or something like that. And so here's what we know. We know that this was um, a, uh, a really set-apart action. And so I want to just share some observations because I believe that two things are happening in this moment. One is part of God's grand master story. Because we read in Jesus' response, he clearly articulates what's happening here. What does he say? That Mary is preparing him for what? burial, right? That's, that's the master story. In other words, um, God knew this. Jesus knew this. This was actually fulfilling prophecy. Um, we know that during these times, this was common practice, that this was part of how they buried people. They, they, would, they would pour perfume and oils on their bodies as a way of honoring. Uh, it was also a form of medicine. And so Jesus, right away, he says, this is what's happening. This is prophetic that's why he defends her actions. And so God is working his master story through this woman. And whether she knows that or not, I'm going to let you decide. Because some commentators said that Mary, because she sat at the feet of Jesus, because she was humble, that she believed when Jesus taught, yeah, I'm going to be dying. And could it be that she understood that moment and acted accordingly? That's what some scholars believe. Here's what I want to also throw in the mix. I believe that simultaneously Mary is um, responding in this moment through her own personal relationship and experience with Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. That Mary... She was not generally thankful for this rabbi and miracle worker. No, no. Mary had a specific reason to be thankful. Why do you think she would be thankful? I, I mean, talk about a gift, right? Unless he was just the worst brother in the world, right? 
unless she was like, finally, I don't have to share a room. No, she was grateful to Jesus because he gave her um, her brother back. It was very specific. It was very personal. It was out of her love for Jesus, for what he had done, and not for the Jewish people, not for those that needed him, but what Jesus had done for her, I believe, motivated her in that moment to show honor and tangible gratitude. Are you following along with me? And so Mary, she, she did not practice general gratefulness, but she was specifically grateful to what Jesus did. The next observation I have is that gratitude becomes tangible when it is costly. Everyone say costly. Now, we know that this was not clearance rack perfume, right? This was expensive stuff, right? Think Chanel, Armani, right? That, that, that kind of stuff, stuff I only hear about, right? Because um, we know that during this time, it was not easy to produce this stuff. This stuff was imported. It was used for not only uh, burials, but it was used as a form of worship in the temple. This was expensive stuff. How expensive? It was worth one year's of wages. That's a lot of money. This was a costly sacrifice, so much so that not only did it cost her the material value, the monetary value of the perfume, it, I believe in this moment it cost her relationally because what began to happen in the room? The other disciples, specifically Judas, he began to criticize her. Other accounts say that the disciples were indignant. It says that they scolded her. They said, this is so wasteful. Think about all the things we could have done with that perfume, and you just wasted it on the feet of Jesus. I mean, she was being attacked, and this was her people. These were her friends. This was her community. It wasn't someone online yapping at her, right? These were family and friends, and they questioned and challenged and put down her actions. Her gratitude was costly relationally to the point where Jesus had to step in and defend her and say, leave her alone. And then lastly, her gratitude cost her her humility because we know uh, this was a very conservative culture and to undo her hair uh, in public and then to use it as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet had to be one of the greatest acts of humility she could have thank of, thunk of in that moment. And so if Mary, she, she accepted that Jesus was going to die, then not only was this humble, but it was a true act of submission. Here's what I mean by that. In this moment, Mary's actions was accepting God's will despite the grief, the personal grief that it would bring to her. I mean, think about that. Think about a situation that you might have been in or are in where accepting God's will means you're going to have to grieve. That is hard. That's the stuff that Pastor Joe was talking about, right? The hard stuff 
where we are challenged to still give thanks. Do you see Mary's costly example of gratitude? Do you see how it cost her in more ways than one? And then the next thing I want to share before we attempt to apply this is that gratitude becomes tangible when it impacts everyone around us. You may have noticed verse 3 said, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Here's what that tells me, that no person was able to walk away from that dinner or experience that dinner without noticing her actions. As a matter of fact, they must have gone home and still had the aroma of her gratitude. It didn't just impact Jesus, it impacted everyone in the room. And I think about the husbands who had to go home and explain the smell of perfume to their wives and how many had to sleep on the couch that night. But you see, when gratitude becomes tangible, what do I mean by tangible? When it could be seen, when it could be touched, heard, or experienced, it doesn't just stay with us. It fills the room. It fills the neighborhood. It fills the city. And so what can we learn from Mary? How can we live differently? Well, I want to focus on Jesus' final words in this passage. He says this, and he's directing this to the disciples, the disciples who got mad. He says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what that means, but I was meditating on it. And to me, Jesus is saying, in this moment, the way you bring honor to me, the way you show gratitude to me is doing what Mary is doing. This is the moment, while I'm physically in front of you, for you to honor me. But there's going to be a moment where I'm physically apart and the way you honor me is by doing on to others. Do you see how I got there? And so right now he says, this is right. Because when I am physically gone, meaning when I ascend into heaven, when I beat death, and I'm no longer physically around you, you're always going to have a need. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to meet that need. I don't want you to ignore that need. You're always going to have the poor among you. And so we know, we know that a life after Jesus, a life of honoring Jesus is not one-dimensional. We know that we don't just love God, but we also love who? People, others, one another. And so Jesus is, he's teaching that. He's saying right now, Mary's loving me, in the future, I need you to do this for each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you and I, we can't, we can't literally get to the feet of Jesus. We, we can't pour our best perfume. We can't wipe his feet with our hair. But we can with every act of kindness, every act of love and generosity, every costly sacrifice, everything that we do unto others, Jesus saying it's as if we had done it to him. And that's the motivation, friends. That's how we can live today as we express our love for Jesus in tangible ways.
towards one another. And I am just so happy to show you this next piece because this is what it looks like. Check out this video. Wow, isn't that amazing? And that, yes, we can definitely clap for that. Please don't hold your applause. Yes. And that is what it looks like to wash the feet of Jesus for us today. And I am so proud of the members of the Mexico Go team, and I'm so proud of you, Ben, and, and the way you've, you've led those teams. That wasn't the first. He's led many teams. He's built many houses. And I was asking myself, what did I do this weekend? They built a house, right? <laughs> Literally in a day and a half, they built a house. And I believe generationally changed the, the, the trajectory of a family. I mean, think about those kids and the fact that, they now have, they can touch walls and say, God loves me. Because, because there was a church that responded and said yes to an opportunity. And yes, we could be the hands and feet of Jesus, not only here in Washington County, but also in Mexico and in Guatemala and beyond. And so I just want to say thank you. There was 12 members who went, and we praise God for not only uh, their blessings um, in, in doing the work, but the fact that they were able to arrive home safely. And so can we just celebrate that one more time? Uh, Mexico go. And so, friends, every invitation, the arms gift, we don't do it for anyone else but Jesus. The student gift bag, we fill it for the love of Jesus. Every single thing that we do in the name of Jesus, we do it for others unto him, for others unto him. And so Jesus said this, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for who? You did for me. You did for me. And so... Um, I just want to end with uh, three, three thoughts and then, uh, and then my story, because I'm asking myself, how can we make our gratitude more tangible? And I, the first thing I want to offer is that uh, we do well to root our gratitude in what Jesus had specifically done for us, and that's, that's important. We can't live off of our grandparents' faith. We can't live off of our spouse's faith. We have to get specific with our gratitude, and that is why Pastor Joe's message was so powerful is he, he invited us to list, to make lists of the good and the hard and to see on paper or to verbalize or to say, say out loud the good things that Jesus has done specifically for you. And so I took him up on that. This week I went on a hike and I took a few hours and I began to just verbal, verbalize in the last few years how God has been good to me and the way he's redeemed me and restored me and guided me and blessed me in specific ways. And let me tell you, a three-mile hike was not enough time. It wasn't enough time. And I left there with a heart full of gratitude. So I invite you to get specific this week. Mary was specific she wasn't general. She was specific. The next thing is make your gratitude costly, not convenient. Mary's, the reason why we're talking about Mary of Bethany is because she didn't hold back. Her gratitude wasn't cheap. And so I want to invite you to measure your gratitude in terms of time, talent, and treasure. How much time are your expressions costing you? How much talent and treasures and resources is your expression of tangible gratitude costing in this season. And then lastly, I invite you to be the most grateful person in the room. Think about that. 
You're all going to gather with your, your, your families in Thanksgiving, right? Many of us will. We'll gather with friends. How amazing of a challenge is that? Not only during Thanksgiving, but every day of the year. That every room we walk into, we attempt to be the most grateful. Because who was the most grateful at this dinner party? Had to be Mary. Why? Because she demonstrated it. There could have been others. We don't know. We see that Jesus uh, highlighted her actions. He says, um, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Man, it pays off to be the most grateful person in every room. And that includes the Zoom rooms as well, by the way. And so back to my, uh, back to my story. And so I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with how generous uh, this entire village had been in those first hours of, of going into their space. I mean, they were so lavish in their gratitude. I began to re, uh, realize uh, that this moment had nothing to do with me. That this moment was actually bigger than that moment. I began to realize that for this, for the, the village of Chacalte and its leaders, what this represented was more than any one person. This moment represented their relationship with God. Because think about this. Here was um, an entire community who had been shut off from visitors for three years. Because, because when the pandemic happened, then we were no longer able to physically go. Sure, we were able to partner, and we're grateful for that. We, we had many projects in the in-between time. Um, we continued to communicate. But as soon as we could, we went. But that meant a three-year wait. And could you imagine maybe some of the things that were going on in their minds? Maybe they were questioning whether that relationship had ended Maybe they were wondering, would they ever come back, or would anyone ever come back? And do you think that they prayed a prayer that may have sounded, God, we've been faithful with the help you've sent. Would you continue to be faithful? And could it be that that outlandish display of gratitude had more to do with what God has been doing for them. And so it gave me total perspective because we could have gone for hours had I thought about it that way because God was doing and is doing a work in that village that is worth celebrating. And so they literally ended with fireworks, <laughs> literally. They handed us all these bags, right, and so I think of that moment and their faith and what it represented, and I think of Mary and her moment and her faith and what it represented, and I just invite all of us to be people that don't miss those moments, to be people that see God's masterful, beautiful work in our lives. And I believe that when we catch it, when we say, wow, God is doing this for me, we can only be grateful. 
lavishly, generously, extravagantly grateful. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pause and we invite you into our hearts and into our minds and we ask that you would reveal the way you have been good. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of your faithfulness, of your love, of your pursuit of us. And help us, God, not only this week, today, this season, but always help us to never stop giving thanks. And help us, Lord, to not just end in our words, but let our actions follow. Let us be people who display tangible gratitude to every single person that you've put before us. We thank you, God. We thank you that we have you to always be thankful for. We thank you that in the hard seasons in our life, you are there. You are our wisdom and our strength. And I pray, God, that we would be people that live more like Mary, that we would be people that have faith like the people of Chacalte, and that we would not hold back saying thanks, and that we would catch the attention of others and their curiosity and say, why are you always so grateful? And that we would be ready to tell them of your goodness. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.